petit. Hi everyone, good morning. Um, it is so good to be able to um, to worship with all of you today, and um, yeah, it's my privilege and pleasure to be able to uh, to speak to you today um, on as we continue to look at Jude. Um, so why don't we turn to our Bibles and we will uh, go through the passage together first. Um, so we will be picking up in from verse five all the way to uh, verse nineteen. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the Lord, apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, godly people, devoid of the spirit. Now I'd like to talk to you about uh, parenting. Now I know that there may be a few parents here and I'm sure that a few of you might be thinking, who's this kid standing here talking to me about parenting, right? And you'd be right, I'm not a parent, but I do have parents and I'd like to share with you an observation that I have about them and which I think is also common to most, uh, if not all parents. So I'll be turning uh, 33 this year. And, um, but every now and then my parents would still 
uh, remind me to, let's say, bring a coat out when I go out or to uh, bring an umbrella if it's raining. Uh, just little things that are considered to be trivial and, and like not worth mentioning at all. So at first when they did this, I found it a little bit, um, a little bit annoying uh, because to me it felt like as though uh, they didn't trust me or believe that I could take care of myself. But I'm an adult, I've lived overseas on my own, I can cook, I can clean, I can take care of myself. I don't need any reminders about food or what to wear, etc, etc. But after a while, I realized that um, even though they've kind of already dialed that down a little bit as my brothers and I have grown up, I realized that it's simply impossible for them, and I think for parents in general, to not care about their children, even when they're grown up. It's not that their children are incapable, it's simply uh, that parents cannot help but to show care to their children, even in the mundane kind of everyday matters. And I think we see this same heart in Jude as we read uh, what he writes to his fellow believers. Uh, he felt compelled to write to them. He said earlier that he found it necessary to write. Now in verse five, he says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. And the NIV translates this, this verse as, though you already know all this, I want to remind you. Now, it's not as if Jude is uh, giving these believers some new information or reminding them of something that they've forgotten, but rather he's writing to warn them because of his heart for them, because of his care and concern for them and for their faith. In last week's passage, we read in verse four that certain people have crept in unnoticed, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Judas pointing out to these believers uh, the presence of false teachers among them in the church. From what we can understand, it isn't so much that these uh, believers are purposely turning away from God, but it's because these false teachers have crept in unnoticed. They've kind of sneaked in under the radar. And, and so some of these believers who listened to them uh, did not even realize that they were being led astray. This is the reason why Jude felt compelled to write to them, to expose these false teachers and to warn the believers to watch out. So you could say that the passage today uh, is a profile of the ungodly. Jude is giving the believers a, the tools to identify these ungodly people and these false teachers. Uh, he's telling them uh, what signs to look for and what to expect from these people. So a feature of this book uh, is the use of triads. So groups of three in the examples and illustration that Jude gives. Uh, for today's passage, uh, the first uh, of this occurs in the opening verses. Uh, Verse five, it says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved their people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not, did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude begins his main discourse by giving three examples of God's judgment. And he starts with one that perhaps would hit closest to home. 
He says that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. God's chosen people, uh, the nation that he delivered out of Egypt uh, through the wilderness and into the promised land, were not spared judgment. He saved them, yet he later destroyed those who did not believe. Their status as God's chosen nation, God's chosen nation uh, meant nothing if they did not obey God. The second example given refers to the uh, angels who, refer, who rebelled against God, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. Therefore, God kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. We are not told the exact nature of their rebellion or of the punishment, and that is not the point here. Uh, the point here is that even angels are subject to God's judgment. And to round out this triad, we are reminded of Sodom and Gomorrah and the punishment of eternal fire because of their sexual immorality and various other sins. Jude uses these Old Testament examples that uh, his readers would be familiar with uh, to illustrate his point that God will punish the ungodly. And this is my first point for you today. God will punish the ungodly. In terms of where we are in the salvation timeline, uh, we are actually in the same sort of period as the believers that Jude was writing to. We live in a post-resurrection time where God's plan of redeeming his people has been uh, revealed to us. We have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior through our faith, and we now await his eventual return. But today there are many who doubt what the Bible says or simply choose to ignore it. Uh, there will be some who will distort its message, uh, accepting only what is pleasing to them and rejecting as irrelevant or outdated what is not. It is constantly being molded by the prevailing culture by those who want a gospel that is centered on themselves rather than on God. Uh, for example, many churches nowadays um, will support same-sex relationships uh, in the, under the guise of love and acceptance of all people uh, in blatant rejection of biblical teaching. Christians are succumbing to the ways of the world. They are pressured into conforming, uh, sometimes out of fear but sometimes simply out of ignorance. They have been led astray without even knowing it. Many are unfamiliar with even the basics of the Christian faith. Now the American Worldview Inventory uh, is an annual survey conducted by the Arizona Christian University to explore the worldview of Americans and how that changes over time. So in last year's survey, 68% uh, of those who identified as Christian said that having some type of religious faith is more important than which faith a person aligns with. In other words, it doesn't matter what or who you believe in or, who you, what, or what or who you put your faith in, as long as you have one. There is a serious lack of concern for breaking God's laws. From the survey, 48% of adults were found to believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good things in their life, they will kind of earn a place in heaven. This is in stark contrast to the message of Jude. Uh, if even God's chosen nation were destroyed because of their disobedience, uh, if even angels were kept in eternal chains because of their rebellion, then what chance do we have if we continue to ignore God and his word? God will punish the ungodly. 
The sad thing is that perhaps many of those who, who were surveyed uh, do not even realize they are disobeying God. I think ignorance and unfamiliarity with the gospel message means that uh, we will be very easily led astray if we do not have the discernment to know what is right or wrong, what is godly and what is not. Then we will simply go along with what uh, culture and society deems correct or what we feel seems right. And this brings me to my next point. As Christians, we must recognize the ungodly. We must recognize the ungodly. And this is what Jude is communicating uh, in these next verses from 8 to 13. He is giving a, the believers a description uh, of the ungodly people so that they will be able to recognize them when they see them. He describes them as those who defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Uh, these people engage in sexual immorality. They reject God's authority, like in verse 4, uh, saying that they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And they speak with outright irreverence uh, towards angels. The NIV says that they heap abuse on them. They do not treat the things of God with their due respect. Now, verse 9 uh, refers to a book called The Assumption of Moses uh, from the Jewish Apocrypha. These are books that uh, were not accepted as part of the Protestant Bible, but are considered to be sacred by some and included in other versions of the Old Testament. Uh, scholars believe that Jude is ref uh, referring here to the story where uh, Satan is accusing Moses of sin and therefore should not be allowed into God's presence after his death. But the archangel Michael, rather than presuming a blasphemous judgment on Moses, leaves it for God to be the judge and does not even rebuke Satan on his, own, um, on his own authority, but says, the Lord rebuke you. Jude's point here is to highlight uh, the ungodliness of these people in their blasphemous speech, doing what even an archangel, a high-ranking angel of God, did not dare to do. They blas these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, driven by their sinful desires, and will ultimately be destroyed by their own actions. They have no idea what they're doing. And worse still, they rely on their dreams, uh, claiming to have received a special revelation from God. Uh, through this, they demand authority and impose themselves on others, uh, leading, teaching as doctrine things that are not and leading others into sin or to become burdened by legalistic requirements. So today we live in a time where we feel that we are perhaps more enlightened in our thinking compared to our ancestors, uh, that we have a better understanding of the world and how it works. Uh, but as my dad used to tell me, uh, history teaches us that history teaches us nothing. We may be more knowledgeable, we may be smarter, we may be physically stronger, but we still make the same mistakes. We still sin, uh, we still do the same dumb things over and over again. At our core, I think the human condition is, is unchanged. This is why the gospel message uh, is such a comfort. Uh, its truth is constant and always relevant. As long as there are humans on earth, the Bible will never become outdated. But on the flip side, because of our sinful nature, as long as there are humans on earth, there will always be false teachers. Some of you may be aware of an account uh, called Preachers and Sneakers. Uh, so I've got a picture up here. This is an Instagram account, by the way. 
the posts on this account show pictures of pastors, usually from American megachurches, uh, wearing expensive sneakers, along with a screenshot of the resale value. Uh, later on, these posts would extend beyond sneakers to include uh, pieces of designer clothing and other expensive attire that these pastors would wear. So the guy who started this account, um, he's a Christian, by the way, um, he did that because um, as he kind of saw these pastors, more and more pastors like these wearing uh, really expensive things, and, and he started having questions like, uh, should pastors or people in ministry uh, be getting rich off of the gospel? Or is it okay for a pastor to preach in a new designer outfit every week while there are people going homeless in their very same city? And his concerns go beyond simply financial stewardship. He saw a growing trend of teaching among these megachurches that led people to, be to believe that God will bless us with material things if we have enough faith. In other words, uh, although hidden behind a veil of biblical sounding language, uh, these uh, churches were simply peddling what is known as a prosperity gospel. This is the idea that if we simply believe or have enough faith, uh, then God will bless us financially and materially while we are on earth. And the surprising thing is after this account became famous, I think it grew from zero followers to like a couple of thousand followers in the, in the space of a few weeks. Um, it made kind of mainstream news and the guy went on like a, a few, like quite a few interviews and stuff about this. Um, but he got a lot of backlash for it. And, and most of which were from Christians either defending some of the pastors that were named on the account or simply attacking this guy for making uh, this account in the first place. And you could tell from some of the comments that these people were not open to having an honest discussion about these issues. Uh, they would attack anyone who questioned their pastor and in the, because in their eyes, their pastor can do no wrong. And, and you could even say that they have made their pastor an idol. And I think as Christians, we must be careful not to do this. Of course, we must love and we must respect and support our pastors. They've given their lives in service to God. But that does not mean that they are perfect or completely above reproach at all times. We must exercise godly discernment when we receive God's message and be able to recognize when something is not from God. And this is not always easy. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It is knowing the difference between right and almost right. I don't know if you remember from Hebrews when we were looking at it before. In chapter 5, the writer says that the believers were still young in their faith, such as they still required milk rather than solid food. Uh, he says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the, work of right, in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so we must train ourselves to have discernment. And discernment must be trained through immersing ourselves in God's word. A couple of weeks ago, my friends and I were uh, discussing how we can uh, discern God's will for things that the Bible does not directly address. And I think the answer to this is to, to get to know God better, to know him more deeply. I think if you know someone really well, 
for example, if it's a spouse or a really close friend, uh, then you would kind of know their likes and, and dislikes. You would be able to predict with reasonable accuracy how they would respond or react in certain situations. And so it is when it comes to discerning whether something is from God. And unlike our spouse or friend, God's truth and character is unchanging and is revealed to us through the Bible. So we must immerse ourselves in his word to get to know him. And over time, uh, we will be able to better discern what is from God and what isn't. We must recognize the ungodly because their end is death and destruction. Verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned, them, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Here we find the second triad of examples used by Jude to illustrate his point. Uh, in this set of three, uh, Jude brings up uh, three examples of individuals uh, who have rebelled against God. He likens these ungodly false teachers to those who defy God, like how Cain in Genesis uh, did not submit to God. Uh, in that story, Cain and his brother Abel uh, both offered sacrifices to God. But while Abel offered up a sacrifice that was uh, according to God's laws and was accepted, uh, Cain offered up what was an unacceptable sacrifice and was rejected. And God said to him, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. But despite God's warning, uh, Cain was unwilling to listen. And as we know, he continued his path of sin uh, by killing his brother Abel. The second example in this triad refers to Balaam, a prophet who was hired by the king of Moab to curse the Israelites, as recorded in the book of Numbers. Although initially uh, he only speaks what God uh, tells him to speak and blesses the Israelites instead of cursing them. Uh, later on, we read that his greed got the better of him. The riches that were offered by the king of Moab um, eventually led him to uh, subvert the Israelites by conjuring up a scheme that would turn the Israelites away from God and into idolatry and sexual immorality. And finally, Korah. Uh, this incident is recorded in Numbers chapter 16, uh, where Korah and a few of the other Levitical priests decided to rebel against uh, Moses' leadership. Uh, they accuse Moses of putting himself above, above everyone else. They accuse of him of being arrogant. Uh, and so Moses calls an assembly uh, to gather the people before God so that God can be the one who chooses the leader. Uh, we read that God confirms Moses' leadership and also that the earth opened its mouth and swallowed, swallowed the people who rebelled, uh, along with the households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Jude is saying here that these ungodly people are like Cain. They defy God and do not submit to them. Like Balaam, they are filled with greed for financial and material gain, using their positions of authority to twist the gospel message in order to satisfy their sinful desires, and in doing so, leading people away from God. Like those involved in Korah's rebellion, these false teachers have heard God's word, 
but have decided that God did not mean what he said. And in trying to elevate themselves, they replace God's laws with laws that they dream up themselves. And we must remember that these people are not at all easy to spot. If they were, Jude would not have had to write this letter in the first place, right? These people have crept in unnoticed. They've slipped in under our noses, poisoning the gospel with their false teaching while disguising themselves as nice people and fellow believers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, verse 12 describes them as hidden reefs. Reefs are rock formations that lie just below the surface of the water, uh, which means that if a sailor is not careful, uh, the boat can easily hit these reefs and sink. And we read in the passage that uh, these people brazenly participate in their feasts and religious gatherings, yet it is simply out of greed. They are like shepherds who only care about themselves rather than uh, their caring for the flock. Their teaching only serves to boost their own ego and self-importance and does nothing to build up God's people. They are like waterless clouds, um, like trees without fruit, dead and uprooted. In all their fancy words and, and self-exaltation, uh, all they leave behind is the foam of their own shame, a polluted mess as a product of their so-called ministry. Jude makes it clear that these people will be convicted in their ungodly deeds. Uh, this is emphasized in the repetition uh, of the words all and ungodly uh, in verse 15. So I'll put that up on the, on the screen. In the passage, the passage says that God will execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly leaders have spoken against him. By showing us these past examples of ungodly people and their characteristics, Jude wants his believers to be able to recognize them when they see them. And likewise, we must also recognize the ungodly and the false teachers of our time. But Jude says, as he continues, that you must not be surprised at these grumblers and, and malcontents who follow their own sinful desires. Instead, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions worldly people, uh, devoid of the spirit. These are people who uh, on the surface look like uh, fellow Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, they look like um, they are just like you. They may even be uh, sitting next to you in church on a Sunday. Um, but in fact, these are, these are worldly people. These are people who are simply uh, following their own sinful desires. They are they are devoid of the spirit. They do not actually have God's spirit dwelling within them. He is reminding the, uh, the believers uh, what Jesus' apostles have already warned them about in the past, that there will be ungodly people in the world and in the church. Like the false teachers then, uh, the false teachers today have also crept in and noticed. And there's no denying it. Uh, they are already here. They are already present in our society, in the world, and in our church. And, and what makes them even more dangerous is that oftentimes 
the message and the things that they teach seems extremely attractive. Have faith and God will bless you with health and wealth. Believe strong enough that you will receive something and you will receive it. Many have been led astray by these sort of self-helpy, feel-good type of messages. And so we must learn to recognize uh, these false teachings and these ungodly people. And a way to do that is, like Jude wrote in verse uh, 17, uh, to remember the truth of God's word. And this is my final point um, uh, for you today. We must remember the truth of God's word. We will not be able to recognize what is false if we do not have a clear understanding of what is true. We will not be able to tell when we are being lied to if we did not first have and know what the truth is. Only by becoming thoroughly familiar uh, with God's word will we be able to discern between what is right and what is only almost right. Otherwise, we will be easily deceived. And this is what Satan is actively trying to do. Uh, he will use any means to lead you away from God. And a lot of times his methods are subtle and, and hard to pick up on if we're not looking out for it. He will twist God's truth through the mouths of a culture and society, uh, chipping parts away, relativizing other parts, and slowly, if we're not careful, uh, we will find ourselves following a very different gospel than the one in the Bible. We must remember the truth of God's word. Hence, uh, as we, as mentioned earlier, uh, we must immerse ourselves in it. We must spend time reading and meditating and memorizing God's word. And I think for many of us, uh, and definitely for myself, the last time uh, we actually memorized scripture was probably at Sunday school when we were kids. But there is actually immense value uh, in memorizing scripture. And many of the script scripture that I've memorized in Sunday school have surprisingly stayed with me today. And this is because having God's uh, word memorized means that we can recall it at a moment's notice and use it to discern whether something uh, aligns with biblical teaching. It can be used as a reference point for judgment. Uh, and the more familiar you are with God's word, the more reference points you have and the better your judgment will be which means that you will be better able to discern or to identify any lies or false teaching. So as we close we, today, uh, we must train ourselves to develop our powers of discernment so as not to be led astray. We must know that, one, God will punish the ungodly. Therefore, we must recognize the ungodly. And finally, uh, we can do that by remembering the truth of God's word. There is only one God and one true gospel. May we, may we remember its truth and stand firm in this most precious gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for, for your truth and for your gospel that you revealed to us uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, and, and recorded us uh, for us today in the Bible, Lord. We thank you for uh, this unchanging truth uh, that is constant, that is, that is always relevant, that will never be uh, out of date, that will never be uh, irrelevant. Uh, we pray that 
as we continue to live our lives on this world, Lord, we will be steadfast in this truth, that we would not be led astray by, um, by culture, by society, by, by people who are teaching a gospel that is, um, that is different from the one in the Bible, Lord. We pray that we will have discernment, Lord, that we would be able to recognize when uh, something is not from you. Uh, we pray that um, your truth would be in our hearts, Lord, uh, that we would, um, that your truth would guard our hearts that, and, and guard our footsteps and that your Holy Spirit would be with us, Lord, as we go, that we will not um, turn to the left or to the right, uh, but to stay true to you and, and to you alone, Lord. And I pray for our brothers and sisters um, in Malaysia today, Lord, as um, they continue uh, in lockdown. Um, it, is a, it is a difficult time, um, Lord. And uh, we pray for those who are uh, struggling with health, with, with finance, with their emotions, with their mental health, and, and just with so many things that are going on because of the pandemic, Lord. And, uh, but I pray that your comfort will be upon them uh, I pray that uh, they would remember your truth and, and be comforted by it, Lord. And, and um, yeah, Lord, so we pray that uh, for your protection and your continued uh, grace and mercy upon all of us, Lord. And uh, we thank you that we are able to come together and to, and to study your word. And uh, may you continue to bless us this week as we go. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.